Hello, and welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where the Word of God is experienced in a fresh new way. Prepare yourself to hear God's Word talk with simplicity and understanding. And now, here's your host, Cliff Gober. What's going on, fam? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. I am your host, Cliff Gober. Let's start this show off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you once again for this time. Even in a time of crisis, you still show yourself to be God. Even in a time of difficulty, you still show yourself to be God to your people. Even in a time of frustration, you still show yourself to be God in every situation for your people. God, help us to find you and see, not find you, but to see you in the middle of every situation that we find ourselves in. Now, God, we take a pause to take a moment to hear a word from you, to hear revelation from you, to hear godly perspective from you. By your Holy Spirit, through your manservant, God, feed the people what you want them to eat today during this time. I declare every word that comes out of my mouth will be the word that your people need to hear, no more, no less. I declare that no weapon formed against this time shall prosper. And I declare that the will of God will be done during this time where people are hearing the word, people are understanding the word, people will receive this word for themselves, apply it to their lives, and see change happen. We thank you, God, for your word. Where would we be without your word? Now, God, I pray for safety for those who are driving and listening to this word right now. I pray and declare that every ear is open to hear and every heart is open to receive the word and the word behind the word that's tailor-made for each of their situations. God, we thank you. We honor you. We bless you. We trust you. We lean on you more than we lean on our own understanding, knowing that you are going to help us navigate through life one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time. For you are our God, and you are our rock, and you are our foundation, and we stand on you and we trust in you. So do your thing today, God. We thank you, honor you, bless you, praise you, lift your name above every name. That is Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name we declare these things to be so. Thank God and amen. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> As you guys can tell, I'm a little fired up. Well, I'm always fired up. I, I really enjoy this time of sharing the word of God with you guys. Uh, I know it's a blessing to many who hear it. It's probably a blessing to all who hear it. But uh, I've gotten certain feedback uh, over the past few months of how uh, these times are blessed the lives of those who hear it. I appreciate your feedback. Um, but more importantly, I appreciate you listening. If you never tell me how much you enjoy the podcast, and of course, I, I would like to hear that, but if you never tell me, but you enjoy it and it's blessing your life and it's helping you to change from the inside out, that's all that really matters to me. Okay, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, we got somebody came in. We know we're international now. So uh, we had a listener from Ireland uh, punching in the other day. Uh, we've had a listener from Thailand, Germany, uh, uh, Malaysia, I believe some time ago. So it's, it's very cool. And we got Inglewood, California, we got Chicago, Illinois, and we got Gary, Indiana, we've got Baltimore, Maryland. So we're, we're all over the place. And I'm just so grateful to God for that. He would choose me, uh, to share this word with all of the other ministry that's going on right now, you know, if you're listening to this in real time, 
well, not real time because I'm recording this, but if you're listening to it in the real scope of time, uh, we are in the middle of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and people are shut in and quarantined and all of these things and churches are closed uh, as uh, in addition to other businesses. Um, and so many ministers now are going into digital and social media platforms and, and using technology to share the word of God with their congregants and with anyone who would listen. And so I'm just honored to share my voice with those voices that are out there that are encouraging people and, 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 and giving people the word of God and uh, giving them what they need to be able to navigate through this challenging uh, time. If you're listening to this five years from now, after I record it, you may have no idea what I'm talking about, or we're way past it now and it turned into a whole nother thing. But whenever you're listening to it, we know that there is no time or distance in the spirit and the spirit of God will have you hear this right when you need to hear it, whether it's tomorrow when I lay this out or whenever you listen to it. So um, it's good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. All right, let's get into today's uh, lesson. And today's broadcast, uh, I want to talk about something called tradition versus tradition. Tradition versus tradition. Uh, the implication of that title implies that there are two types of tradition. One tradition is good, one tradition not so much. And we're talking about traditional things where the things of God are concerned more specifically. Uh, so let's dive into this. Let's define tradition Tradition is defined as the handing down of customs, practices, and beliefs, usually accomplished by words and or actions. The handing down of customs, practices, and beliefs. Tradition, right? Uh, uh, this, is, this to me is a really, really important lesson. It's really something that as believers we need to pay attention to because there have been a lot of traditional weeds sewn into the traditional godly things, uh, especially for believers who are in the, uh, uh, I'll coin the phrase, I'm not a big fan of this phrase, but the black church, uh, there are various African-American religious traditions, Christian traditions that have been fused together with real godly traditions. And it's just, it, it, can, it can be a mess. It can be a mess. I'm gonna just, this is one of those shows I'm really gonna be real and, and it's not my intent to offend anybody. Um, uh, I don't want to offend anyone or make anyone angry. But we got to, folk, we got to do better. We got to do better, fam. We got to do better where this tradition is concerned. So, so we're going to look at some things, some good traditions, not so good traditions. See what the Word of God has to say about these things. And uh, let's just let God do what He does and say what He says. Now, as I mentioned, some traditions are cool, you know. Uh, family traditions, you know, maybe every, you know, Christmas, the family goes over to Aunt Tootie's house and, you know, we have breakfast at Aunt Tootie's house and then we go to Uncle Jack's house and everybody has Christmas dinner, right? Uh, my family, uh, every summer uh, in July, on one side of the family, we get together in one part of the country and we all come together for a family reunion. We've been doing that since 1976. Uh, in my own personal family, my parents, my brothers and I, my dad created something called the Gober Motto. And it's something that he's handed down to us. And now it has expanded <laughs> to wives and girlfriends. And, uh, you know, everybody knows the Gober Motto now. 
Also, uh, my dad has a tradition uh, when we were growing up during Christmas time. Uh, first thing in the morning, uh, we would pray. Uh, he had an altar set up and he would pray uh, over the family. And then my brothers and I would run downstairs and open up our presents, right? New Year's Eve, uh, we would usually, if we didn't go to New Year's Eve service, which is another tradition, if we didn't go to New Year's Eve service at our church, uh, we'd stay at home, we'd watch movies, my dad would order a pizza, and at midnight, we'd all go to the altar and my father would pray, uh, pray to God. So, you know, these types of traditions are cool. Even something as uh, simple or fun or, or innocuous as in, in football, um, usually if a game is won, uh, they will grab a big ga thing of Gatorade and dump it on the coach, right? It's just a tradition. Where it came from, I know, but if you want to know about it, just email me, I'll tell you, but... <laughs> But, you know, these traditions are fine, right? And some traditions are cultural. Uh, I know, again, we go back to, you know, I'm a black guy. So a lot of the traditions come up through the African-American tradition, uh, through the culture uh, I'm familiar with. There are other traditions and other cultures I'm not necessarily familiar with, but every culture has their own traditions, right? Um, I mentioned earlier watch night service in the predominantly black church, New Year's Eve. We get together usually around 10 o'clock. There's a service, a church service. At midnight, everyone goes to their knees. We pray and we praise God and pray our way into the new year. Well, that came out of the slave tradition. Uh, I believe they were waiting for the new year to happen. And in that new year, the slaves are going to be freed. So that New Year's Eve... Uh, many slaves prayed to God, celebrated God, praised God that New Year's Eve, going into that new year, knowing that they were going to be free. All right, and that tradition was handed down. We talked about the the uh, the way tradition is handed down. It's accomplished by words and or actions. Okay, so you know there are many traditions that work. They they enhance our lives. And I wrote this down, good traditions enhance our godly lifestyles, but bad traditions can dilute or even nullify the word of God in our lives. So the goal should be to really examine, especially those of us, my generation, the generation after me, the generation Xers, the millennials, we don't want to disrespect or dishonor anybody, but we want to re-examine why do we do what we do? And, and more specifically, because I'm talking to believers, why do we do what we do in church? Okay, why do we sing that song? Why do we say that saying? Why do we use that scripture here? Why do we do what we do? And the, if the reason is it's because what we've always done, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. There has to be a specific reason that's connected to godly living or godly understanding as to why we do what we do. And if we're not doing that, I believe this is just Cliff. This is just me. It's my podcast. I get to say this. I think we just set we should set it aside. If it if it if it doesn't enhance our godly living, if it doesn't make our relationship with God better, right? At at best. And at worst, if it, if it damages our relationship with God, we need to set that aside, okay? 
I don't have a problem with going to, to, to New Year's Eve night service. That enhances my time. It gives me an opportunity the night before, the last night of the year, to go on my knees and thank God for what he's done, bringing me through the year and praising him for the year that's coming. That's cool. Now, I don't believe there's any scripture that talks about that, but that's fine. That's fine. It enhances my life. Right. It's better than being in a club and getting drunk and, you know, happy new year, you know, all of that. That I'm on my knees and I'm praising God and I'm worshiping God and I'm thanking God for getting me through the year. That's awesome. Not scripture, but that's awesome. It enhances my my godly living. All right. But when we start looking at stuff, like I said, we just got to look at some things and really examine ourselves and figure out. Why are we doing this? Should we continue to do it or should we set it off to the side? All right. So this is what God put on my heart to share today, fam. So again, I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's not my intent to get anybody angry or you don't, you know, you mad at the church. I'm not mad at anybody, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Okay. But I, I am mad at mindsets that don't allow us to live the godly life, the godly kind of life, that don't allow us to have the impact and the power that we should have in the, in the world today, right? And God has given us all of these amazing godly resources where we are supposed to have influence and impact on a level that, honestly, I haven't seen. I've seen it on small levels. I've seen it on medium-sized levels. But I've not seen it on the level that the body of Christ should be having it on. So let's look at this. Let's get into this. And uh, we're going to start with some good traditions. We're going to go to the scriptures and look at some traditions that God established in the Old Testament. Okay. So the first tradition we want to look at is the Passover. We just came out of the Passover, Resurrection, Sunday, Easter, Right. And, 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 and Easter is not defined as the celebration of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. That's not Easter. Easter is a celebration of renewal in the earth. OK. And uh, I guess I'm getting into this now. The Roman calendar uh, at some point combined a lot of different celebrations and holidays. And two of the things that they combined was the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and Easter. They put those on the same day. Okay. But Easter is not the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. They're two separate holidays that happen to be celebrated on the same day. So the rabbit and the egg, they are symbols of renewal. That's why it happens in the spring. Okay, so Easter and, you know, celebrate Easter. That's fine. But know what you're celebrating. All my life, I grew up thinking Easter was the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And so all my life, I was trying to figure out what do eggs and rabbits have to do with Jesus? And the answer is nothing. They are two separate holidays that are celebrated on the same day. Okay, and you can look that up and go into the details of it and all that stuff. And, and again, I ain't mad at nobody. You want to do an Easter egg hunt on Resurrection Sunday? Knock yourself out. It's cool. Okay, um, but just know what it is that you're celebrating. All right, that's my point. All right, so let's look at Passover. And we're going to look at Exodus 12. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. Exodus 12, verses 12 through 14. And then we're going to jump down to verse 17. Verse 12 says, 
uh, Exodus 12 and 12. Verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All right? This is what the word Passover comes from. When the blood was put on the doorpost, and if any of you have seen the Ten Commandments or you've heard preaching on it, the blood of the, of the animal was put on the doorpost, right? And when the, when the death angels saw the blood, they passed over that particular house. I heard some really good preaching on that, that they, the death angel passed over because death had already been there because the animal had been killed. All right. So the, the, the death angel passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. All right. So this is where we get the phrase Passover. All right. Now let's jump. Uh, well, let's stay uh, we're on verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. When we talked about tradition is passed down by words and actions. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. All right. Now, verse 17, he's going to describe the feast. One version of what the feast is is Passover. But another version is what we're going to read here in verse 17. Exodus 12, verse 17. He says, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your enemies, I'm sorry, brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. All right. So we see this phrase throughout your generations an everlasting ordinance twice. All right. Meaning now that the tradition of Passover every year was done as a memorial to what God did the night before he freed the children of Israel from Egypt. So this was done for centuries, that every year Passover was done. Now, I'm not going to get into this right now, but there is traditions that existed before the cross and traditions that exist after the cross. And some of the traditions that happened before the cross, Jesus made them obsolete. One of these uh, and I, one of these is going to be the Passover. There, there is no more celebration for born-again believers of Passover because we moved from Passover to communion. Now, I know there are all, all Je Jewish people who celebrate Passover. Please, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm just speaking from the perspective of those who have made Jesus the Lord of their lives, that the Passover celebration uh, has ended. Um, or it actually was never for Jewish people. Um, but uh, Jesus made a transition from Passover to communion when he had what we call the Last Supper. Okay, It went from Passover to communion, and it transitioned, and now that was part of the establishment of the New Covenant that allowed both Jews and Gentiles to have relationship with God. Okay. My Old Testament scholars could do really great at breaking all that stuff down. I just want to share this with you and move on. <laughs>
Okay, so one godly tradition that was established was the Passover. All right, let's look at another one, the crossing of the Jordan River by the children of Israel. This happened in Joshua. So we want to go to Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Verse 4. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one of uh, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Watch this. When your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, uh, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Okay, so the stones that came out of the Jordan they placed in a certain place and the tradition was to tell your children when you see these stones they are a reminder of what God did for us at the Jordan okay these traditions are handed down from generation to generation to generation as a reminder of the power of God as a reminder of the goodness of God and that might be a really nice compass for your traditions for our traditions do our traditions remind us of the goodness of God? Do our traditions remind us of the power of God? Do our traditions remind us of the love that God has for us? I have in my, in my medicine cabinet a very small battery-powered clock, and it has an alarm clock on it. And I keep that clock because it's a reminder to me of when I was in a very, very dry, tight season that that alarm clock, I was sleeping on the floor uh, of my godparents' home here in, in California, and I slept on the floor, and I had that alarm clock. And that alarm clock would wake me up. I'd wake up. I'd do what I have to do. I'd go to work in the morning, okay? And that alarm clock was a reminder, is a reminder of how far God has brought me. And I keep it in that place, and every time I see it, I remember God brought me out of that. That God was with me in it, and he brought me out of it, right? And many things came out of that time, and that little clock is a reminder of all of the things that came out of that time, right? Do your traditions and memorials remind you of how good God is? Or are they just empty things that we do because that's what we do because we church folks and we Christians? That's just what we do. Well, what's the meaning behind it? See, both of these examples, there was meaning behind those traditions. When you do this, it's for this purpose. When you do this, it's a reminder of this. And specifically, it's a reminder of what God did. 
It, the Passover is a reminder of how God brought them out of out of slavery and brought them out of Egypt. Okay, uh, uh, I think the one scripture says there was none feeble among them. Okay, why do we do what we do? And can we create traditions now that lead us to a reminder of how God, how good God is or, or a reminder of who God is in our lives? Those are the types of traditions we want to hold on to. Those are the types of traditions we want to continue to create in generations to come. And if they don't fall into that category, let's set them aside. You know, if Aunt Janice and them have a tradition and they're Christians and, it, and it's not in line with the Word of God, you know, you're going over to Aunt Janice's house, honor Aunt Janice's house. Okay, you don't need to kick in the doors and say, that's not of God and y'all doing, we ain't got to do all that stuff. Okay, honor the house and if there's an opportunity to share truth, share that truth and as Paul says, share the truth in love. All right, that there's no need for all of this stuff if it doesn't help enhance my godly living. All right. Okay. Now, those were two Old Testament traditions, and I alluded to this one coming up. Uh, this is a New Testament tradition. Um, actually, it started in the Gospels, but it continued on into the New Testament. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. And Paul is going to talk about what we know as communion. All right. Now, I know there's also communion in, in the Catholic Church and uh, there's communion in the Protestant Church uh, and, and, you know, Christian churches all over the world. So let's look at this and uh, kind of squeeze some juice out of this. First Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 26. Verse 23 said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this, here we go, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, once again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right. Now, the message translation of verse 26 says, you will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Another translation, the Passion Translation for verse 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Now, it's all, it is in context, in context the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's the sacrifice that he made, the blood and the body. It's the sacrifice that he made, that death is what Paul is talking about. Now, I want to I want to I want to just kind of you know, dip my toe into something here. Um and it's not a bad thing. You know, I've been in church all my life ever since I can remember, 4 or 5 years old. I've been in churches, my my home church, um Greater St. James AME in Gary, Indiana. Love you. Woohoo! Boy, I got a great foundation at that church. Um that being said, saw a lot of stuff that was tradition 
that wasn't necessarily uh, connected to the word of God or used to enhance the word of God or just kind of contextually off a little bit. All right. Communion was kind of one of those things. Now, traditionally, and again, I can only mostly speak from the predominantly black church. Uh, traditionally, uh, uh, communion was taken once a month and it was on the first Sunday. Now, I don't know where that tradition came from. It's not necessarily a bad tradition, but it's not required that we only do it the first Sunday of the month. It's just what everybody does, right? But Paul says here, and he, he, he goes back and quotes Jesus, he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So as often doesn't mean every 30 days. As often means I can take communion on Wednesday at home. I can take communion on Saturday morning with my friends. I can take communion Sunday morning at church. And it doesn't have to be first Sunday. Now, again, I understand we've got institutionalized things with the church. I get it. But again, I want to kind of really shine a light on these traditions. And let's, and let's expand our understanding of godly traditions so God can really be God in our lives. I can take, I can take communion when I want to be reminded of what that broken body was for me. His body was broken so my broken body can be healed. The blood, the, the, the cup, what I drink from is a reminder of the new covenant that gives me access to God through Jesus Christ. You know what? I might need to be reminded of that on a Thursday. I may not, I may not have to wait till I may not, I may not be able to wait till the first Sunday to be reminded of what that broken body and what that blood represents, what that bread and what that cup represents. I may need to take may, may need to take communion on a, a midnight on a Tuesday because I need to be reminded because so many things are going on in my life. I may need to be reminded of the new covenant that I have. I may be need I may need to be reminded that the Lord is with me. And maybe communion will remind me of that and I don't have to wait till first Sunday to take communion. Right? Now, again, I'm not saying taking communion on first Sunday only is wrong. All right? I'm just saying it doesn't just have to be limited to the first Sunday. That's all I'm saying. All right? As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. All right. All right. I think I, you know, I think I got more than my toe into that one. I think I got all ankle deep on that one. <laughs> all right. I just, I just want to open up your, you guys' mind of understanding of these things, these traditions, these things that we've just kind of allowed to go on and on and on. And we don't know why we do what we do. There's a great story about that with a woman who cuts off a piece of meat and, you know, it's a great, great story. Uh, maybe I'll tell it again if I haven't already in an earlier podcast. But if you know the story, come on, laugh. <laughs> it's really funny. If you don't know the story, don't worry about it. We'll learn it later. <laughs> all right. Now, let me dig into what I really want to dig into. That was all set up. And I want to look at some understandings, uh, some traditions that I believe, and this is kind of my personal thing, I really believe hinders the body of Christ from really being its fulls, at its full strength. And, and what that thing is, the traditional understanding of scripture, of scripture. 
the traditional understanding of scripture. And oftentimes, scripture I've learned, even in my own life, I had to relearn some stuff. You go, oh, that's not even what that means. Oh, wow. Right. So I'm not saying this is you guys, you know, terrible and I already got this figured out. No, we're all learning. We're all growing. Paul says we look through a glass darkly. So even with what we see and what we know, it's only part. He says we see in part, we know in part. Okay. So I'm just sharing a part of what I've learned with you guys. And hopefully it will, you know, kind of restructure some things in your thinking where certain scriptures are concerned or stories. Right. So, so here are some examples, right? Samson, right, in the book of Judges. We know Samson had great strength. And so when we think of Samson traditionally, and there have been a couple of movies done on Samson, when we think of Samson traditionally, we think of some big, strong, muscle-bound, you know, 1980s version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? The 2010 version of The Rock. You know, when we think of Samson, that's what we think of. But if he was that, if, if he had that type of visual strength, no way would the Philistines send in Delilah to find out the source of his strength. If he's some big dude that looks like the rock, well, we know the source of his strength. He works out four o'clock in the morning every day, six days a week. Look at him. We know why he's strong. Look at him. Right. But that's not what the scripture talks about. He wasn't necessarily some big muscle bound dude. And if you go back and read that, that story in Judges, when he applied great feats of strength, usually the, the scripture would say, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he did. Right? So it wasn't necessarily that Samson was some big strong dude. That wasn't the source of his strength. The source of his strength was the Lord his God. All right? So that's one way that, that we look at traditional understanding of scripture. Another one was Gideon. Uh, I believe that's also in Judges. And and uh, this one you may or may not be familiar with, but the story about Gideon, there was an enemy to his people called the Midianites. And um, the scripture says that Gideon was hiding in the, wheat, in the, in the wine press, right? And, and God called him a great man of valor. Okay, so traditionally, we read, we understand, we've heard preaching on that Gideon was afraid and he was hiding in the wine press. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says he was hiding the wheat in the wine press. He was taking the wheat of his people and hiding it from the Midianites in the wine press. Well, that took great courage. And so when God called him a mighty man of valor or a mighty man of courage, he was already displaying that courage when he was hiding the wheat from the Midianites. Because if they would have found that wheat and found him, they would have killed him. So, so it wasn't that Gideon was hiding from the Midianites. Gideon was hiding the wheat from the Midianites, which implies he was already a man of great valor. He just didn't know it. And God showed him who he was, which is what God always does when we come into a con an encounter with him. He will always show us who we are. He will always show us who we are. All right. Um, there's a couple more. I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, uh, but I'll, I will look at this last one, the nativity scene. Right. We see these. Uh, during Christmas time, we see these scenes and it's the manger and it's Mary and Joseph and it's baby Jesus in the manger, right? And then we see the three kings standing around. 
the three kings weren't there at the manger. Right? They weren't there at the barn. Okay, uh, the Bible says that they didn't show up until two years later, or almost two years later, and they showed up at Mary and Joseph's house. Sometimes, guys, we just need to read, you know. The kings showed up, the magi showed up at the house. They weren't at the manger. They showed up later, okay? So that, that whole nativity scene is cute and wonderful and beautiful and all of that, but it's not accurate. And if the outside world wants to believe that that's what it is, okay, that's, that's on them. But for us, we need to know what we're supposed to know. I know that wasn't good English, but I think it was good revelation. <laughs> we need to know what we're supposed to know. We need to know what we're supposed to believe. And if we buy into the same inaccurate traditions as everyone else, we have no power. It's almost like when Jesus says the salt loses its savor. And we have no influence. We have no flavor in the world. Okay? Again, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. Don't want to make anybody mad. Just go back and read it for yourself. All right? But I do want to look at a couple of... Uh, I want to look at something that I call scriptural kryptonite. And that's traditions. Again, uh, we'll call it just basically incorrect traditional understanding of Scripture. Incorrect traditional understanding of Scripture. Right? An incorrect or out of context understanding of the Word of God. Man, that, that can be dangerous. It can be either it can make me uh, in, have no impact or it could have a negative effect on my relationship with God, right? Neither one of those are good, all right? So we want to make sure we have to have an understanding. And you don't listen, listen, listen. I didn't go to seminary. I study a lot because I'm a nerd, but it's there. It's available, especially now with technology. We've got various translations. A lot of the commentaries from the great commentators uh, from times past are available to us online. We've got Strong's Concordance online. All these things, technology, are available to us to help us to be able to learn and grow and understand on a deeper level uh, so we can live this stuff. Not so we can sit around and talk about how smart we are about the Word, but so we can apply it to our lives and see change happen. Change the way we think will change the way we live. Amen? All right, so uh, I want to go to Mark chapter 7. Uh, I think we're going to finish with this uh, traditional, uh, this kryptonite, spiritual kryptonite. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And I'm just going to get into this and read it a little bit. I've been kind of expounding quite a bit this podcast. Y'all still with me? Y'all still hanging? I see you nodding your head. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> Somebody else said, hey, that's too much. I'm going to come back to this later. That's cool. Put it on pause. Do what you got to do. Come on, hit play and uh, listen to the rest of it. All right, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, him meaning Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now notice it didn't say holding the tradition of the law of Moses. It said holding the tradition of the elders. All right. Verse 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things 
which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. All right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm setting this up for where we're going. I want to look at verses 3 and 4 through the amplified from the Amplified Translation. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless merely for ceremonial reasons. Uh, do not eat unless merely for ceremonial reasons. They wash their hands diligently up to the elbow with clenched fist, adhering carefully and faithfully to the tradition of practices and customs handed down to them by their forefathers to be observed. Notice now, we're not talking about necessarily a godly tradition. We're talking about something that's been handed down by their forefathers. It is a tradition. But is it a godly tradition? Let's find out. All right, verse 4 in the Amplified. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they purify themselves. And there are many other traditions. Check, check this out, what they define traditions as in the Amplified. Oral, man-made laws handed down to them, which they observe faithfully and diligently, such as the washing of cups and wooden pitchers and wide mouth jugs and utensils of copper and beds. So what they are observing are oral man-made laws handed down to them and they observe them faithfully and diligently. Oral, this is what you're supposed to do, right? I remember I was in church one Sunday and, uh, you know, just your regular worship service and the man of God was preaching and, 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 you know, in certain church traditions, as things get emotionally excited, you stand up, right? Or if the preacher's really starting to preach, other ministers will stand up and as a show of support, I guess. Um, I'm not a big fan of this stuff, but I'm trying to keep my cool. <laughs> but in the middle of that, I looked down and uh, a, a father uh, or a parent, it was, it was either the father or the mother, they were... Uh, forcing their children to stand up and they had this mean look on their face stand up stand up stand up well what 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 value does that have if you don't explain why you're doing what you're doing but see that parent it had been handed down to them that way somebody from the previous generation with a mean mug and a mean look on their face was saying stand up and praise the lord you better stand up and clap your hands stand up and clap your hands Right. Without giving an understanding of, first of all, that's not the heart of God. First of all, that's not the heart of God to be forced to stand up and clap your hands. That's not the heart of God. If, if, if worship, if true worship is going forth, it'll move me to stand. It'll move me to clap my hands. It'll move me to move around. It'll move me to raise and lift my hands because the, my appreciation for who God is is building up so much in my heart because of what's going on in the worship service. You don't have to tell me and you definitely don't have to make me do stuff. But these are <laughs> oral man-made laws handed down. Okay. All right, I got a little fired up. I apologize. Let me bring it back down. Okay, so this is the setup that the Jews and the elders of the church would always wash their hands in this ceremonial washings. Now, there are ceremonial washings that were laid down in the, in the law of Moses, but they were connected to reverence for God. 
I'm washing to purify, my, purify myself, quote unquote, purify myself because of my reverence for God. I'm about to eat or I'm about to, for the priest to uh, do the sacrifice, right? And the priest would have to wash in the basin outside of the tabernacle. So washings were a part of the law. But what this has turned into is a whole nother thing. It's just a thing that they do because that's what we're supposed to do. And if you don't do what we do, there's something wrong with you. That sounds familiar, huh? If you don't praise the Lord the way we praise the Lord, there's something wrong with you. This is the way you're supposed to praise the Lord. You got to praise the Lord this way. There is no way other than what comes out of the heart. All right. So, all right. We're going to go to Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 9. All right. Verse 5 says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus and asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Notice again that phrase, the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. I love Jesus, man. He was so cold with his responses. Verse 6 says, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So what Jesus was putting them on blast about was, you took the oracles of God and replaced them with the traditions of men. You didn't enhance the oracles of God. You didn't enhance the law of Moses. You replaced the law of Moses with something that looks like the law of Moses. You replaced the traditions of God with the traditions of men. Right? He says, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. See, what was supposed to be taught as doctrine was the commandments of God. And again now, even in our churches today, the, the God commandments and the man commandments have mixed in together, and what we have now are religious commandments. And religious commandments have no power. I'm going to just flat out say it. Religious commandments have no power. And Paul put it this way. It's a form of godliness denying the power because it looks like it should be powerful, but it's a copy of the real deal. It's a counterfeit really is what it is. And so these things get handed down and all of a sudden what was real and true and supposed to be done from the oracles of God have turned into a whole different thing. And Jesus calls them out on this because they're the leaders. They're the leaders and people are following them, right? So he says in verse 9 again, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And so let us examine ourselves now. Are we doing that? Are we rejecting the commandments of God and replacing them with the commandments of men? It, it, are we using things from Scripture and creating godly doctrine? Or are we creating religious rules and regulations that have nothing to do with godly living? It may have to do with church living. It may have to do with denominational living. But does it have to do with 
godly living. Godly living. All right? I'm going to leave that right there. I want to read the New Living Translation of verse 9. Now, again, the King James says, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. The New Living Translation says, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Wow. Wow. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Wow. And then you jump down to verse 13. He uh, Between verses 9 and 13, he describes how this, the, the, the commandment says, honor your father and mother. But they've taken that and said, well, you can. it's a word they call Corbin, which essentially means... You don't have to honor your mother and father financially. You can just tell them, well, I took what I was supposed to give to you and I gave it to God. So I don't have to honor you now because I took my offering and gave it to God. And that's what I'm supposed to do. That's not in line with what the commandments were. Now, these people were supposed to be living by the law of Moses. This was before the cross. And so they were supposed to live according to the law of Moses. And the law of Moses said, honor your mother and your father. But tradition showed up now that wasn't in line with the things of God and created a whole nother doctrine. Replaced the doctrine commandments of God with the commandments of men. And so to summarize what they were doing, Jesus said this in verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. Many such things you do. The Passion Translation says, Do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others, making up these rules that nullify God's word? And you're doing many other things like that. Making up rules that nullify God's word. Man, making up, just making stuff up. Can't find it in scripture, nowhere. Or if it's in scripture, it's out of context. Or it's just an incorrect understanding. There's a scripture. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. But there's a scripture that says, you know, if one will put a thousand to flight and two will put ten thousand to flight. Right. And you hear this in church all the time. And the way people look at it from a contextual standpoint is one believer will put a thousand demons to flight and two believers will put 10,000 to flight. But that's not what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 32. That's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about if one of your enemies puts a thousand godly people to flight and two of your enemies put 10,000 godly people to flight, it would be because God left you. And God's not leaving you. That's the whole context of the scripture. Another scripture, let me flow on because I'm going to finish up with this. Another scripture says, and this is used in many churches as a benediction as we're going our way at the end of the church service. And some of you all know it. May the Lord watch between me and thee when we're absent one from another. Right? All my life I heard that. And I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I just thought it was something that was said at church growing up. May the Lord watch between me and thee when we're absent one from the other. Right? And it implies as we separate, we pray that God keeps us safe. That's cool. That's not what the scripture is talking about, though. 
The scripture was, that story was about a group of people who didn't trust each other. And they were trying to do a deal. I'm not sure where it is. They were trying to do a deal and they didn't trust each other. So as they were going their separate ways, because they didn't trust each other, the statement was made, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from the other because we don't trust each other. So the Lord's going to have to watch us to make sure that we're doing stuff right. I know this sounds radical. I know it does, but it's right there in the Bible. Okay. So we want to take the time, go back and read scriptures that you, that you are familiar with. Go back and look at what the context is. Go back and look at another translation of it. There's all kinds of those scriptures. Um, um, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Um, somebody says, you know, Lord, if you find anything that's in me, take it out and straighten me. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, if you find anything in me, show me what it is and lead me out of it. I think that's in Psalms 139. You'll hear people getting ready to pray. Let's touch and agree. That's not what the scripture says. It says, if any two of you agree as touching. And I know you say, well, Cliff, you know, we know what we mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when the rubber meets the road and you really have to have words of integrity, when you really have to believe the word, when you really have to apply your faith, if you've got weeds growing up with the wheat of the word, you're not going to have any impact. You may not even believe your prayer is going to be answered. Or you may end up praying out of an emotional place that's not in line with the word of God and you have no power. Looks like you got power. Sounds like you got power, got no power. And in the middle of the night, you know you have no power. And somewhere in your heart, you're starting to believe that this thing doesn't work. You keep doing what you do. You keep going to church because that's what you know to do. You keep praising the Lord because that's what you know to do. But you have no power. Because the word of God has been made of no effect because of the traditions of men have been replaced, have replaced the commandments of God. I charge you, fam, go back and read your word. Go back and study your word. Hey, this during this time of the coronavirus and the shutdown, everybody at home anyway, might as well go study your word. Might as well go pull up some good teaching on YouTube. Hey, why don't you listen to a podcast <laughs> from time to time? All right. All right. Now, I got more stuff, but I'm going to stop here. I think everybody understands the point. Um, I know for many, many of you who are listening, there's a certain level of spiritual maturity that you have. And so you get me, you get my heart. Those of you who know me personally, you know my heart. I ain't mad at nobody. I just want us to get it right. I want us to have influence during this time greater than we've ever had before. And I believe that God is moving and shaking and redoing things and allowing things to happen in the earth to move the church to a place where we fall at his feet and say, Father, lead me, guide me. Do what you tell me. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. And I mean it for real, for real. I really want to be godly. I really want to live this life for you. I believe that's where God is allowing circumstances to move us to that place as a body. There's certain sections of the body of Christ that are operating this way, right? But, but, but we, when we really want to have real influence, when the governments are coming to us for answers, when billionaires are coming to us for answers, when billionaires are us, right? 
that we have the answers, that we have the solutions. When they understand we got to go to so-and-so because they're the only ones who got this figured out. Or they're the only ones who really have peace. Or they're the only ones who are still flourishing during this time of famine. How do we do that? We have to be grafted to this word. We have to have an understanding of this word. We have to be able to apply this word and change our lives from the inside out. And then have impact in the world around. That's our calling, fam. That's our assignment. And that's my time. <laughs> I got to go. I love you so much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, pass this on. Share it with others. And I'll see you next time on the Word Experience. Uh, how am I doing? <laughs> I'll see you next time on the Word Experience podcast where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. God bless you. See you next time. Peace. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that what you heard will start you on a journey of change and transformation. If you'd like to communicate with Cliff with a question or a comment, you can do so via email at clifftalk 63 at gmail.com. That's clifftalks, the number 63, at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll see you next time on The Word Experience.